What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew Steinwald, and this is Zima Red. On this show, we speak with the users, founders, and creatives that are diving into the world of unique digital assets, also called non-fungible tokens. My guest today is Trislet. Trislet is so deeply involved with the NFT space, I don't think a one-line description does him justice. Trislet is like a dictionary on all things non-fungible token. Not only is he one of the kindest and most wholesome characters in our ecosystem, he seemingly knows everyone and everything happening within our ever-evolving space, which as you know, is no easy task. Besides having immense knowledge of NFTs, he's also filled to the absolute gills with different ideas on gameplay, lore, design, community, and essentially all aspects on what makes a great game. Speaking with Trislet made me appreciate the detail and nuance of gaming. He made me realize that having a game or metaverse with the core basics figured out is simply not enough. To truly have engrossing virtual experiences, we need to dive deep on the narrative, for it is always the story that really brings experiences to life. Please enjoy my conversation with Trislet. Trislet, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm really excited to chat with you. And to jump right in, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, how you got started in crypto, and then how you got involved with non-fungible tokens. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Andrew. That's a pretty broad question. I've been a I've been in the crypto scene for prob I think probably three or four years. I had, I started really more hardcore trying to finagle with mining a bit probably three years ago. But before that, I had actually I remember my first my first introduction to crypto was I was working for an MSP who I had just gotten a client and they got a ransomware attack and all their data get, had been encrypted. <laughs> And the hijackers are demanding Bitcoin and they hadn't had anything backed up and they called me in to try to help. At that point, I had no clue what Bitcoin was. So it led me down a path because they had given up trying to figure it out. So they said, well, just pay them the hundred bucks. Just figure out how to get a hundred dollars in Bitcoin. <laughs> I remember digging, figuring it out and then figuring out how to make it. Then at the time I was I mean, it's like, I don't want to pay I, I don't deal with terrorists. I'm not going to do this. You know, so it's it's like, yeah, I know it's a hundred bucks, but I'm like, I can, <laughs> I'm sure I can get the data back. And I remember digging through it and we fixed it for him without having to pay him. But that got me thinking, I'm like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> and then afterwards, the, the money I had put in to try to get the Bitcoin to begin with to pay off these guys, I just ended up keeping and then <laughs> messing with it at the time. So yeah, that was probably four or five years ago, actually. And then it sort of, I just sort of, forgot about it till the non-fungible stuff started coming out because i kind of i like bitcoin i like the gold silver idea thought process but it really didn't strike me as interesting until the non-fungible stuff started coming around i really started that the central land and the ico was still there i got kind of sucked in that was when they were running rocket chat and i really started talking to people about oh, wow what is this that's so cool so your first experience was with bitcoin in a ransomware attack that you were trying to solve that's the first time I've ever heard someone's first exposure of Bitcoin was fixing a, a ransomware attack that, that had happened. So you said that you were able to keep that, that little bit of Bitcoin for yourself afterwards? I did. It was like a hundred bucks worth at that. And at that point, it had already gotten up. I forgot what, five or six years ago. It was already at like 50 cents, something like that. So it was like 50. And then I remember sending it to somebody else and paying with it like immediately for something. Because at that point, I was like, all oh, right, I got a hundred bucks. And I just... <laughs> You know, you never think about this stuff. You, I wouldn't think that it would go up that far, right? It's like I'm pretty sure I spent it just like the thousand Bitcoin pizza guy, something like that. <laughs> Who would have ever thought, right? <laughs> Your first real deep dive into crypto was through non fungible tokens. And how did you discover Decentraland? Like, was that just 
were you browsing the internet or was it something to do with, you know, there was the full on uh, ICO bubble at the time. So did you find it through that or how did you discover it? I had started trying to mine just because I saw Ethereum and I thought it was cool. I think when Ethereum was maybe three or $4 a piece, I was like, oh, this is kind of neat. And I set up a miner on my computer. I was running on my graphic card and I was able to mine like four or five tokens. And I was like, that's cool. But then it ended up costing me maybe like 10 bucks a month of, <laughs> you know, it cost me maybe 10 bucks to generate a coin and, and electricity. At the time I was kind of, you know, my electricity bill started going up fairly fast. So the wife kind of... <laughs> was asking me why all of a sudden our meter is going crazy. So I kind of stopped. So I had, you know, five or six Ethereum. And then a year later, I saw the price start going up. I was like, oh, man, what is this? That's got me looking around to like, what can I do with this? What can I buy with it? That led me down some of these other things. Once I got to that, because I've always been a big gamer, video gamer guy. And, and I like a lot of the, you know, Snow Crash, Lawnmower Man VR type stuff so when i came across something wow a vr a virtual world and i can own a plot of land here that's cool it sucked me in and then it, then it wasn't until i got to there they actually spun up rocket chat and they had a web-based the chat room stuff once i started talking to the community and i started seeing a whole bunch of other people that had that same i felt mentality that really sucked me in hard <laughs> That's so cool. So basically you were inspired by, or you have been inspired by Ready Player One and Snow Crash and those types of fantasies. And then you discovered Decentraland, which is essentially, it's essentially like that version 1.0, the vision of like a virtual environment, a virtual world where people are completely engrossed in and living in and working in, et cetera. That's really interesting. Honestly, I don't like putting my own money into something unless I'm able to talk to someone behind the project or something like that. So at the time, I really, I reached out to Esteban and Ari and I had some conversations about them, some ideas I had and I was, you know, hey, is this possible? Is this crazy? Am I initially, because years ago, I used to work for a local, for a local newspaper as a PHP database DBA in the background. I did a lot of their advertising stuff through it was before double click it was open ad stream so i used to manage a lot of advertising and keyword targeting and things like that and my initial thought process was i wanted to make a virtual reality advertising company in decentraland i'm like can i send an ad to a t-shirt you know a virtual t-shirt can i somebody's drinking coffee and i can send a my folgers logo to their coffee cup you know it's like can i this is vr i can do whatever i want right <laughs> i started having some conversation with Esteban and Ari, and they seemed into it too. But that was that was a while ago, and I, you know they gave me some resources, and I started following and talking to some other members of the community that were trying to do some crazy stuff like that. It was still kind of it was all theory, you know, it wasn't much tangible stuff to play with. But yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Have you followed up on that at all? Because that sounds like a really really cool idea. A little bit. I've initially I had built up a an open ad stream instance myself like i can display ads through and it's working you know it's but it's i started running into some roadblocks with trying to get external uh content going through some of the firewalls you know it's like and i'm not sure how easy it's going to be to sort of whitelist that it's still an idea in the back of my head and i've been trying now some other competitors have come up too so i've kind of been working with some idea trying to do the same thing in there like somnium space and potentially crypto voxels i had some I was messing with crypto voxels. I tried to send some data, some billboards, but it's still kind of rudimentary. But I, I still like that concept. No, I think that that's a really, really interesting concept. I definitely want you to keep pursuing that so I can uh, so I can learn from you because that, that sounds incredible. I want to go back just uh, ever so slightly and ask you about cryptocurrencies and 
what, what are your views on cryptocurrencies in general? So things like Bitcoin and Ethereum and the other altcoins. I like the two big ones, Bitcoin and Ethereum, just because they they are like the large ones that seem like the the original like first larger groups, and they've got such a large following that the thing that I like most about it is the secure the secure aspect of it, and that really comes when you've got a larger network, which Bitcoin and Ethereum at this point have. So it's not that I don't like a lot of these other technologies I'm starting to see come out, you know, but it's that first to market stuff seems to have really given those two a good upper hand that's going to be really hard for anybody else to come in and kind of disrupt, which is one thing that makes the ERC-20 stuff so cool, where it's riding on something with such solid, un, you know, backing underneath it. That's what gives, that's what makes me, I feel the ERC-20 idea is going to be better just because it can do so much more and it's got that backing. Bitcoin, I really like is like the larger, I know I always hear that, you know, like people referencing Bitcoin as their gold and Ethereum as their like money in their wallet, you know, and I can see why you would think that way. Bitcoin is just, it's stable. I know it's going to be there. It's going to be there forever. Everybody's saying, right. I guess that's sort of my thinking on them. So I definitely, I definitely hold a little Bitcoin just because I like, I like it for the stability, just like I have, you know, I have a little bit of silver and stuff. Just not that I'm, not that I've got, you know, huge stockpiles of it, but I'm like, yeah, I could just take this anywhere I want and I could go trade it in for whatever spot price is. That's cool to me. But Ethereum is where it's interesting. I really like that analogy that you used of Bitcoin being kind of the gold that you store in your vault, and then Ethereum being the money you spend, uh, the money that you have in your pocket to spend on on this and that. And I think that that's that's a really interesting analogy. I've actually never heard of that. I, I really like that. Yeah, I think that general analogy I think came. From, I might have heard it from someone like Spidey Monkey, one of the other guys somewhere. I remember one of them was talking about it. I'm like, that's a really good... Trying to put it to words is really hard. But when somebody says it to you, I'm like, okay, yes, that's that's right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I love using analogies in, in this ecosystem, in the crypto ecosystem as a whole, because it's very technical. It's very confusing. It's uh, hard to understand in a lot of instances. But when you kind of can break it down into uh, analogies, obviously, you don't understand the, the deep technical details of it, but you can understand the basics. And I think just being able to understand the basics is a great first start to uh, an ecosystem like this. With that said, I mean, there's a lot of uh, side... It's funny because the ERC... Once you start messing with some of the Solidity dev and you start seeing what goes into an, you know, a wrap uh, Ethereum token, you start realizing, like, it's got a lot of poten- it's got a lot of potential and it's got a lot of power. It's also got relatively easy for anybody with any sort of development background. So you can see why it's just exploded and why there's so many. And a lot of them don't feel like they have good use cases. Like I can see now that we've been into it a couple of years and I can see people, you know, there's a lot more resources, a lot easier to get into it. I'm seeing a lot of things that people are trying to tokenize stuff that I feel like tokenizing it doesn't help. So it's either a waste of effort or it's overcomplicating it to the point that it'll never go anywhere. So I'm seeing that in some aspects. I definitely agree with that. There's a rush to tokenize everything and every single blockchain and every single architecture in 2017, a little bit in 2018. And that's kind of died down a lot now. There's a lot of ERC-20s and all sorts of different stuff. And then now we have digital assets. The use case for unique digital assets is so apparent versus the multitude of use cases for these ERC-20s. So you know you have this application on Ethereum, it does XYZ and it has a token. And a lot of people would say, okay, wait, why does this need a token for doing this process? It's, oh, well, you know, we added it in here because it does this thing. It's like, well, it sounds a little unnecessary, but okay. But then when you explain to someone, oh, I play video games or you play video games and now you can own your items, it's like, okay, instant. Like I get that. There, there's no there's no debate of whether or not that's good. 
So I actually played Ultima Online a lot when it was out, and from that I jumped over to World of Warcraft for a real long time, and I was in some raiding guilds, and it's an extreme time sink if you want to get anywhere. I mean, you know, it's if you don't make it your second, your part-time job, I really feel like you're not going to get anywhere, <laughs> which is fine if you're having fun with it, but one thing that I did notice is, you know, oh, look, I dropped 20 hours a week on this game for three months straight. I was able to complete this huge thing. I got this massive sword. I got this... My guy's all super powerful and everything. That's great. And I'm like, I'm kind of getting bored with the content here. I kind of want to move on. And they're like, all right, bye. You know, you just, okay, we'll just take everything you made and just delete it. It's like, well, that that kind of sucks. I don't want that to happen. All right. <laughs> Is that how you first got attracted to NFTs? I mean, it's definitely one of the things, it was one of the first use cases I could see in my mind that, you know, I put in a lot of time to get this. You know, it's like other people might not see the value in it, but I do. I mean, whether it's nostalgia, whether it's, you know, just personal, like I like the looks of it, whatever, I don't really care. It's like I like it and I feel it's worth something. I don't want to just lose it. Having that hit me before, you know, after putting so much time into it, it's made like some of the games coming out, like I'm, I'm a huge fan of Chain Breakers, you know, because that reminds me of that sort of MMO fantasy type game and i'm like oh man if i beat the big bad guy and i get his special sword you know i want to hang that sword on my wall you know in real life i don't know even if it's you know <laughs> you know and i want to make sure that it never goes away right i don't just lose it if i decide i don't want to play chain breakers anymore i mean that's kind of cool yeah i think the idea of being able to monetize your gameplay in any fashion is really really appealing so if if you were able to monetize all your all your uh, time and effort spent in World of Warcraft. I mean, that would be that would be incredible, right? And I think that that's kind of what the promise of that NFTs hold. Yeah, it's funny when it comes to value because you know people are. It depends on if you come at it from an investor or a gamer mindset. Like a an investor might say, you know, that sword takes five hundred hours of gameplay to get to the point where you have a chance to get it, right? So is 500 hours of my time worth what the sell price for? You know, it's like nobody will give me more than five bucks for that sword. It's just a video game. So obviously that's not worth 500 hours of my time. Whereas a gamer is like, well, I'm going to play this game anyway. <laughs> you know, even if it takes 500 hours, like I'm just going to devote 500 hours to it anyway without expecting any money back. So now if I get $5 back, that's $5 more than I had before. It's a different mindset, but I'm like, that's that's what gamers are looking for, I feel like, whereas in, it doesn't jive well to an investor because it, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting conversation when you think, you know, time equals money, but not always if it's something you really enjoy, right? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And one dynamic that I think, so right now the NFT ecosystem, I would say is mostly investors, I would say, because there are some games out there, but um, there's not too many games. And the ones that are, there's not so many things that you can do in them. They're kind of, you know, collector items and, and crypto voxels and Decentraland, et cetera. They're, they're not really games per se. They're more like platforms. So I think there are a lot of investor-minded people right now. But I think as the space progresses and as the technology improves, I think we'll actually see those two different dynamics of gamer and investor kind of kind of meld together. And I think that everyone will kind of be a gamer and everyone will kind of be an investor in a sense. And of course, there'll be people that specialize like, hey, I don't care anything about money. I'm just going to game because I love this game. And there's also going to be the opposite of, hey, I don't care about the game. I just want to make money. Those are going to be the the edges. And then the main the main player is going to be a gamer investor is what I hope to see. Yeah, I, that's a good way to put it. I, 
I feel like a lot of these, basically all the virtual worlds coming out. I mean, yeah, CryptoVoxels, Decentraland, Somnium Space, Sandbox is, you know, they're gearing more towards it. But I mean, they're all, I see them as like your level one base infrastructure. Like if they can really get, if they can get a lot of traction, get their development tools underneath it, then now you can build games on top of it. And now you'll have two layers where you have the first layer of the investors that are holding the underlying asset that's maybe worth a lot more money. But you'll have sub assets on top that gamers might be interested in participating in that maybe doesn't require, you know, any initial input, any initial cost, you know, but the time invested on that second layer could equal out paying a little bit. That's a great way to have both sort of intertwine in a way. Yeah, I think it's so cool that these Ethereum-based virtual worlds are coming out. And the really interesting dynamic is that the the users or the players or whatever you want to call them, they're investing in land and they're building stuff, content and games and whatnot on this land, which and then brings in more users. And then you turn all those landholders, all those users, all the first generation users into these evangelists, into these people that really want the platform to succeed because you know they'll be able to increase their uh, land value and maybe they'll be able to earn some passive income from some business that they created on their land or parcel. I think that that's a really, really interesting dynamic that I don't think we've seen. I think the closest thing to that possibly is Roblox because Roblox is just that open platform where users can create games on it. I love how the NFT ecosystem seems to be really going that direction, having the users themselves and the players themselves create the content, create the games. I think that's uh, really interesting. I'm a huge proponent. Obviously I am for anybody who's talked to me on the discord or seen me going around. You, you know, I'm really heavily into crypto voxels to the point where I'm I'm a moderator and I'm doing all the management stuff for all the wearables avatar management side of things for the ecosystem. So obviously I'm extremely involved with that. So I might be biased, but it's, I do feel like he's, Ben's done an extremely good job at just leaving it wide open for anybody to do whatever they want, you know, and as he works on the tools, it'll get better, but it's already to the point where it's like, he's basically just opened the door and said, here you go, just do whatever you've got a sandbox. So it's, it's been interesting because it's, I feel like I'm more involved with a lot of the community than most other people would be. So I've, I've liked to be able to go in and explore and find new things. Like I never thought I would, I enjoy art. I like it, you know, but, but I'm also, I was just having a conversation actually with a Yatepi. He's on the discords a lot. He's an artist and I talked to him a lot. It's funny because I had a, in my mind, I had sort of a, like a mental breakthrough where I was realizing, you know, I've, I'm extremely sort of logical. So some of the art that I like, like if it's, it's a little hard to decipher what the meaning is. Like maybe sometimes I don't appreciate it as much. Having CryptoVox and being, having it forced on me in a way, like walking around trying to decipher and help players and figure out what the problems are when things break. It's, I've seen a lot more than I had in the past. So I've, it's actually forced more of an appreciation on some of the non-logical art that I've come across. And I've, and now I've, I'm finding myself on a like super rare and some of the other platforms and I've picked up a couple not limited prints, you know, I don't, I haven't quite gone that far, but so I feel like it's opened me up to other things that I never would have had any reason to even think about before. Really funny you mentioned that because I never was really into art before NFTs. I think I purchased an NFT piece of art before I had my first physical piece of art. Through NFTs, I feel like I've become to really appreciate art and especially just meeting a lot of artists and learning about their process and how they create and stuff like that. And I think that that's really incredible too. And the fact that all these artists are really embracing this new technology, this brand new technology, and a lot of them are not 
you know, technical or crypto native or anything, but they're just kind of diving right in, which I, I find very, very cool. And I, I tried looking into that and why that was happening. And I went down the rabbit hole of artists gentrifying neighborhoods and basically they'll move into a, an area and they're the first people to really go into this kind of rundown area and then they start to beautify it and start to, you know, open galleries and they kind of make the area nice. And I thought that that was a really, really crazy analogy of what's kind of happening in the NFT space. Those are the people who like to push the boundaries and they're not going to, they're not going to take no for an answer half the time. It's funny talking to them because you don't, unless you have a reason to, you know, be in that scene, you would never see that. But the minute you're thrown into it, you'll, it's an extremely passionate group. It's a group that you kind of want to, once you see it, you kind of want to be a part of it more and more. It's also very interesting that a lot of these, you know, super rare crypto voxels, especially, but those two communities have become very intertwined and they're kind of feeding off of each other. And I think that right now we're seeing it mainly with those two projects. That's probably the strongest correlation, but I'm really, really excited for, you know, a year down the line when we're having portals from, I don't know, uh, sandbox and crypto voxels and Decentraland and all these worlds are kind of adding to each other and strengthening each other. And they're all like a force multiplier for the entire ecosystem as a whole. You've met Jin. He's been been a real interesting one. And he's introduced me to some un- interesting concepts like this WebXR project coming out, which is more like an overlay that connects virtual worlds through web browsers. Like that's a sort of technology set I never would have even thought of like, why would I Google for something like that? But after you're shown it and you see what you like, I've gone into a couple of meetings with, you know, Jin's brought me into a couple of hub meetings with the developer and he's showing some of the stuff he's doing. We can have five or six different websites and you can go through a portal to jump to another one, you know, and then it's like, oh, this one jumps out of VR chat village and this one might jump over to a gallery and crypto voxels. I'm like, why isn't this already here? Right. And that's once you see it, you're like, this is obvious. Why isn't everybody doing this? No, exactly. And Jin is an absolute, he's a legend. He's a, he's an absolute wizard when it comes to all things metaverse. He's also the one who showed me the potential with portals and having people jump to and from different communities, which I think is going to be extremely, extremely powerful and extremely commonplace in the future. Speaking of that, I want to ask you, when you're looking at a different NFT project and possibly looking to get involved, what are the factors that you're looking at? Are you looking at you know, the community, the ability to earn a return, or what do you kind of look at? Since I have some development background, I feel like I can carry a conversation with other developers. So I'd like to try my hardest to, to reach out and find whoever is either head or, you know, on the development team of the project and have a conversation with them. Because usually it's it's fairly easy to f- see if it's somebody who's, you know, kind of passionate about what they're doing or, you know, knows what you're talking about or if they really, you can tell they don't really have any passion for it. I feel like a lot of these projects that I've seen fail, so some of it came from, you know, not having the correct people behind it, behind the dev team. So having that initial insight into that side then allows me to, then secondary, I like to go talk to people in the community and see if they see, if they're seeing the same things I am. I, I like being proven wrong. You know, it, it's saved me from a lot of bad investments in the past. You know, I like to go out and ask questions. And then that usually gives you an insight into how the community feels too those are the two things that i feel you know it's like if you've got you don't even have to have a good huge dev team if you've got one or two key guys that are just amazing when you talk to them then you know they're going to be able to carry the rest of the team and then they've built a community that feels the same way then i feel like that those are the two that tell you you've got gold it might take a while depending on 
what their marketing team looks like, but it usually I feel like it's that helps me a lot, you know, if nothing else get invested. And then at that point I can usually, if I think I can help, then I can sometimes a couple projects I've sent in my resume, you know, show, cause I have been in an IT for, you know, almost 20 years, you know, and I've done a lot of background stuff and some development. So a couple projects I'll send in my resume and be like, if you think I can help somewhere, tell me what you need help with and I'll try. And then usually I try to shill it and try to get other friends that I know that develop to help as well if they need it. Going off of that, what are some red flags that you can see for an NFT project? The way the community interaction goes, I mean, you can, depending, I mean, it, it ebbs and flows. I get as, as development teams get you know, they put their nose to the grindstone. They start like, okay, we've got to run. We currently got a gate we've got to get through, you know, for this project cycle and stuff. Like, you know, that's happening in the background. So I get it why they got to go quiet for a month or two if things really get crazy. But when they're there, the way they interact with the community and then the feedback I get from the other community, that's that's the main thing that tells me if there's, that's what will set up red flags. If everybody's telling me, it's like, yeah, this guy's not doing it. You know, it's like, I never hear anything from him. You know, and last time he talked to me, he put me down and called me a name or told me that I didn't understand what I was saying. I'm like, okay, this is, even if they are successful, I don't really want to be part of this project. It's really interesting. It's like kind of crowdsourced intelligence because you're seeing and talking to other people and, and they're kind of letting you know how they feel about a certain project that can kind of give you a clear indication on where the project is going or what the, what the mindset is of the, of the founders or team. Yeah. I know that you're actually involved in a whole host of different NFT projects and communities, but which ones are they? Can we get through them all? Well, let's see, because as far as the metaverse ones, I mean, I'm I'm pretty involved with all of them to a certain extent. Decentraland, I'm still, I'm district leader for Music Hub and Anarchy, which has been an interesting one. I'm trying to get those off the ground. I'm actually partnering with the Atepi, actually, on Music Hub. We're hoping to try to get a, a stage piece and potentially finding a way to restrict access to the stage to just a performer you know so you can allow people to actually have performances without the crowd interfering i don't know if you've ever seen that in vr chat but the crowd doesn't stay in the crowd very much vr allows people anonymous people to do whatever they want so i hope to get that side off the ground for decentraland and in crypto voxels i'm pretty heavy investor i've i've flipped a lot of lands and crypto voxel but it's funny because almost every all the profit i've ever made there's basically been used to buy more parcels <laughs> i think i've got most of not anymore but i've got probably a fourth of fantasy fields it was actually a district that i had petitioned ben to start like a year or two ago because I, I was in my mind i was thinking like medieval fantasy mmo type thing which is why i bought a bunch of it and then i built a big castle right in the middle and i was and then life got a little busy, so I haven't been able to build out some of my other village that I wanted around it, but <laughs> that's been my biggest one. I also own, I think, five or six plots of Somnium Space. I've got a couple waterfront ones and some right in the middle because I was an Indiegogo backer before they actually launched their auction. So that's looking cool. And I also bought a nine, a 3 by 3 plot in Sandbox because I really want to play with their tools. I think they're going to be really cool. As far as projects go, I started a guild in Crypto Space Commanders. That's been gearing up. They're still kind of in beta, but they're definitely getting closer to official launch. That's a space MMO type game. I created a guild called the Ferengi Alliance because uh, I'm a big Star Trek nerd. Now, I, I like the the lore behind the Ferengi. And I created an ERC-20. I call it Gold Press Latinum because in the Star Trek lore, that's what the Ferengi Alliance works everything off of. Gold Press Latinum is a, a 
It's basically like a liquid from a star encased in gold. And then that's what they use for trade in Star Trek as for that what the Ferengi use. So that's what we use in the Ferengi Alliance. I've uh, with that one, I've actually worked with uh, Alex over at OpenSea to enable it to be used for purchasing through OpenSea. So you can buy CSC assets using our gold press latinum currency. And I've worked with a safe name, which is a pretty cool credit auditing one. It's actually been started up by IDON and he was working with the Taiwanese authorities, I believe, and trying to get it in China a little bit. But we're using him for credit auditing for our e, for our GPL token. So what we're trying to do is get receipts and things like that, so you can verify where the tokens are being sent. Basically, the my Frankie Bank holds like I think a hundred million GPL tokens, and then I've been just using them as guild rewards. So the idea is that as I create stuff and I post stuff for sale, my guild members can buy with that token. But then the more they buy, the more the GPL token gets spread out in the wild. So eventually it'll spread out and other people can use it too. But I'm trying to control how fast it goes out because I don't want it to get too controlled because I want to be able to provide assets to back it. So that's been a really weird economic experiment that I've been working on and trying to maintain control over. But it's definitely gotten large i also i'm in war riders i created a guild there called the toe cutters i modeled after a if you're a mad max fan it was actually that was the protagonist the bat that big gang in the first mad max movie with the toe cutters gang i haven't been able to play as much lately in that one but they've definitely had some things and i've got a couple guys on in the guild that have definitely been doing really well for that chain breakers is the one that i'm really in i it's Talking, uh, Renee, the CEO of Quellcode, that's the company behind Chainbreakers. I've had a lot of really good chats and talks with him. And I actually, I started working on, uh, last year, actually, I, I wrote up a lot of their background lore on how, how the back, uh, like gods and God type mythology works in their, in their universe. And I started, uh, building, uh, NPC backgrounds for them and stuff like that. It allowed me to, tap into sort of that creative bent i used to play a lot of dungeons and dragons when i was in high school and i'll i still do when i can but it's like that's been an amazing creative outlet for me you know where i can i can write fantasy for his game and see it come to life in some of his beta stuff a lot of the quest text and everything i wrote all that for them and i have also i i bought quite a few of their epic weapons to begin with so i've I think I've got probably 60 chain guardian or chain breaker, uh, chain breaker NFTs. I'm also, yeah. And I've mentioned chain guardians cause I've also been buying some of their stuff in their initial pre-sale. I actually just bought and mudra thematic, uh, chain guardian one from them and a big thing. And I got a, I actually bought it secondhand from Napoleon. They had a, watch an nftc watch for one of the captains that i can scan the watch with an nfc chip to log me into the game so i that one i'm pretty heavily monetarily invested in uh yeah this i'm trying to think there's five or six other ones i bought some crypto punks as well i think i own five of those actually Snowfro's working on a punk registry so he can send printed ones so I'm, i should be receiving a printed crypto punk with a certificate of authenticity from him soon that'll be really cool to check out and uh i've been work i've been talking to jim a lot lately for two from avastar he actually uh, i got to design my own exclusive 
with them, which I made into a like an 80s pop alien girl, which I thought was pretty funny. And he sent that to me, which is really cool. I'm getting more involved with that. I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's a couple other ones too, because I end up popping into different discords all the time. <laughs> you are a very, very busy man. That is an impressive list. You you put me to shame. But do you have any interest in Gods Unchained or Axes or CryptoKitties? I am. I've got some Axes. I actually like some of the gameplay on there. I just didn't. I've tried breeding and I tried buying some and I ended up not getting any good traits, you know, so some, <laughs> I need to just spend more time to get better at it, I think. Gods Unchained, I, I felt like I wanted to get in because I was actually a huge Magic the Gathering player when I was in middle school, which is funny. I go back through some of that stuff. So I was like, oh, God, Magic the Gathering. I, was, I remember that taking my life <laughs> in middle school. So I've been a little leery about going too far into that. <laughs> it's very smart. Know your limits. So going back, you mentioned your district leader of Music Hub and Anarchy in Decentraland. So Anarchy, what is that? My plan for Anarchy was I wanted to make a sandbox where just it's going to be an open district. And I just want people to be able to come in and design whatever they want. Now, my my thought process was that I was I had actually at one point talked to Ben potentially about using some of his world building tools that he had created for crypto voxels because so i was like if i could find a way to yeah integrate something like this into the decentraland sdk it'd be cool to allow people to get in and have walls they could build with and stuff and initially they're touting more vr stuff which might come down the road but they're not doing an initial launch because my thought was having people in vr being able to build together and then what i really would like to because that would be kind of anarchy in my mind you know just graffiti walls and everything crazy and whatever anybody wants to build just going up and getting torn down constantly. My, I actually had some thoughts initially where if I could have like a nightly reset and maybe have something like Godzilla come by and destroy the town every night or flying saucers come by and abduct everything. Like that's in my mind, anarchy. <laughs> so is that going to be implemented or are you still kind of working to see if you can pull it off? Uh, I'm still kind of, it's the design tools initially that the, the thing that makes my ideas kind of, work for that one is sort of like some multiplayer building tool. Like I don't, I don't want to be the one to just build it by myself. You know, then it's whatever I think is crazy and cool. Like I love what crypto, what's happened at crypto voxels where you're like, okay, everybody, the gates open, (laughs) you know, do what you will. I would love to see if I could create some sort of easily easy builder tools in world and just open the gates. Like that's, that's what I wish for anarchy. We'll see if I can make it work. I've, I think I need to partner with some. I mean, Jin actually had some really interesting tools that I was thinking about potentially trying to utilize and get involved with, you know, using some of the Janus editor tools for multiplayer, you know, modify. And then when you're when you're done doing it, you upload it through the SDK to the Decentraland platform. So something like that might be, a you know, an easier way to get into it. You know, Jin's already put in the time. And you also mentioned that you formed the Ferengi Alliance Guild in Crypto Space Commanders. Could you briefly explain to me what Crypto Space Commanders is? It's a massive multiplayer online game like World of Warcraft. It's based in space, and you pilot a spaceship. And basically, it's supposed to be like a sandbox MMO where the whole idea is you, uh, you've got space stations that have quests and missions, so you can go there, pick it up. And then you've got different types of, you know, you've got, non-player characters so ai controlled you know enemies that you can go out and fight 
And then if you kill kill them, you know, they might drop an item. You can pick up the item, bring it back to your home base to build new weapons for your spaceship. Uh, the cool thing in Crypto Space Commander is everything you use is a token. So each ship, each gun, each shield, you know, energy pod, whatever you have on your ship, they're all different ERC-721 tokens. And every if you go out, you can also do things like mine asteroids, because there's a crafting system inside there, but to craft, you have to have raw materials, and the raw materials are all ERC-20s, apparently. I think they might be going ERC-1155 to have so they can have, like, one referenced item, and then you can have a certain amount. But but the idea is that everything, you can go mine smaller tokens and combine them to make larger tokens if you've got the right token, you know? For a gamer, it's just... Oh, I'm mining asteroids, getting metal, and then I bring it back to my space station. I craft metal sheets, and then I need thirty metal sheets to make a laser pistol. And then I like so it's that sort of grind type massive multiplayer game. Also, War Riders. I've actually never heard of that. What, what is that like? That's one game being uh, they're putting together. It reminds me a lot of Twisted Metal. I don't know if you ever played that on PlayStation. That was a basically on this one. It's a desert landscape, like Mad Max Armageddon type thing, but they call it benzene is like the gas that things run on. But benzene is an ERC-20 token and there's little mining things all over the map. So you can go over with your car and go mine them. But other cars are all want to mine it too. And they uh, and you all have guns and everything. So you get to fl- uh, run around in cars and shoot at each other and blow each other up. Some of the preliminary cars are there's like Lamborghinis, you know, on souped up massive wheels and there's hovercrafts that fly over this over the sand and some SUVs with armored, you know, bumpers on them and stuff. That's really cool. So is it kind of like a battle royale game? Yeah, pretty much. You can uh they're working on some guild stuff apparently that I don't know if they're going to right now it's all free for all, but you can have like I said I have a guild. So usually if I recognize a guild member, I'm not going to kill them. I could. But there's nothing, you know, usually like the whole point, like we try to have our own color scheme so I can tell them apart from other guys and I can see other guilds doing the same thing. But that one's still sort of in beta, but it's definitely, yeah, during the come of the, some of the testing ones when we've had like 40, you know, 30 or 40 people in game and you've just massive battle royal with guns with missile launchers and Gatling guns all shooting at each other, it becomes pretty crazy. So chain breakers, that that's... I guess it's most similar to like a World of Warcraft is how I imagine it. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah, he's, I think he's, they're trying to more going towards Diablo if you've ever played that. Okay, yeah, Diablo. So it's, yeah, well, you've got a, a hero character, you know, different classes of characters with special moves, and then you get items that soup up your base stats to make your moves hit harder. Are you able to take more damage? And then you can group up with three or four people to go fight things. And then, Chain Guardians. I, I actually, I know Chain Breakers, but I do not know Chain Guardians that well at all. Chain Guardians is a, it's a newish game. They're actually doing a crate sale, I think, next month. They actually hired a, an artist from DC Comics to do a lot of their background. They're working on a lot of background lore. So it's, it's very anime looking, but they're trying to make cross-chain play on it. So they've got there's guardians for each chain like this i think five or six of the chains is like bitcoin ethereum uh dash and matic is a side chain but they consider another chain so each chain has their own guardian so mudras is, is like the guardian of the matic one so if you take the nft and put it on that chain then it 
it's more powerful than if you play it on another chain. So it's an interesting dynamic of how they want to do that. The game itself is like a turn-based Final Fantasy type game where you've got groups of enemies, you know, in your little party of people, and you choose what what uh, move to hit the other guy with. If you ever played those that game before, I'm trying to think of other examples on it. I played it. a game kind of like I played Golden Sun. Yeah. Like a game Boy, okay. Yeah. It's like yeah. a Game Boy game where you have a team and then you you it's kind of, it's almost like Pokemon where it's turn based and you hit them with your moves and stuff. Yeah, it's it's similar to that sort of thing, but they've got some they've got some cool things like they've got a side mini game which they call a mining game. So you can any of those NFTs you can put to you stake to this mining thing every 24 hours and then they uh depending on the like the more powerful they are, they have higher hash power and then the higher your hash power is, the higher your chance you have of mining a block on their little side chain for CGC is their token. And that token is going to be used to buy premium stuff in their game. It's a really interesting model. I, I've never heard of that. Yeah, they're allowing you to use. They're partnering with some other games. So if, like, they actually partnered with Chain Breaker. So if you've got Chain Breaker items, you can actually use it to mine in their game for currency that you can then use to buy their NFTs when the game launches. You mentioned that you were involved with all the Ethereum-based virtual world projects, and I wanted to ask you about the metaverse as a whole. What are your General, it's a very, very broad question, but what are your general thoughts on the metaverse? Are we are we close to it? Are we far away? Is this is this the dawn of it? What, what do you think about the metaverse? I feel like you know it's the start of something much bigger. You know, it definitely has that that vibe to me. I see a lot of. I mean, not that I think prices need to come down. It's funny because it's you know I see that a lot. People always say, it's like, "Boy, I hope this is cheaper so that more people can get in." I'm like, "Well, maybe the people who already have it, you know, have already bought, should be looking for other examples of ways to allow other people to use their current stuff." Because now you've got investors and you've got sub developers, and not everybody has to be the owner of the land underneath if you want to keep it scarce. But so I don't. I mean, it's hard to say. You know what? Because I see the metaverse as like I like I loved watching Ready Player One the movie. <laughs> I was like I like watching the interaction. Like I want to be able to walk up to you in VR with my gun and say, "Oh, you're out of ammo," and hand you my gun and have my gun ownership transfer to you, and now you own it. You know, just in real time without me doing any other interaction. And then you know maybe it's like, "Oh yeah, this isn't working over here in Decentraland." Quick, I open a portal and you jump to. Crypto voxels with me, and we go to some other project. You know, that interoperability is what I picture when I think of metaverse. The problem with that is traditional companies, you just cut off their profit bottle by doing that, right? How do you make a profit if everybody's leaving your game to jump to these other worlds, right? For their models, it definitely makes sense to keep everyone siloed and on their platform. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting one because it's like that's that's a barrier to a true metaverse. But at the same time, I don't know how to overcome that barrier either i mean logically you have to keep the servers going you have to you have to pay salaries you have to keep things moving i don't i don't know the answer to it i just know that that is a barrier that we need to figure out some way to work around yeah it's definitely interesting because from the developer standpoint it's very difficult to build out that vision of the metaverse that you just laid out where you can jump from one world or one game to the next game because obviously that's that's not what you want to happen because then you'll lose users and whatnot. But from the user standpoint, it's like having NFTs, unique digital assets is like the best thing that could have happened to them. Because I'd say before, you know, we were all, uh, I use this analogy a lot, but we're all in China working and living and 
capitalism is thriving there and it's working totally fine. But at any time, the government or the game developers can just seize your assets, right? Arbitrarily for whatever reason. And we see that with Hearthstone, there's been some examples with um, World of Warcraft and people selling accounts and the game developers finding it and then deleting that account. But now we're now living in America, let's say, where no matter how much the government hates you uh, or if you insult the government or whatever, they're not just going to seize your assets and shut you down. And so I think that that's like kind of the missing piece to the metaverse puzzle for uh, users because now they have the confidence to spend more time, to spend more money, to, to really put in a lot of uh, put in a lot of work, for lack of a better term, uh, into these virtual worlds, and they're confident in their ability to enjoy the all the all the benefits of true uh, true markets and true commerce. But as you clearly mentioned, that it's very very difficult from the developer point of view. How do you make a sustainable business model? I feel like I can sort of uh, you know I can see both sides of the argument. I definitely uh, it's not like I don't want these companies to go out of business. I want if they're providing a, co- a product that I want to use and everything, but it's. At the same time, it's like, well, what if the guy next door creates a better thing and now everybody wants to take the items I just got from your game and I want to bring my, bring them all to that guy's game because he just created something amazing. Does your company just go out of business because you ran out of money? Yeah, I think what Decentraland is aiming to do with their DAO and kind of decentralize the, the hosting and the infrastructure and the running of Decentraland, I think that is super interesting and it's going to be really exciting to watch watch that unfold because if they can pull it off successfully that means like the sky's the limit and I, i'm sure there's going to be some hiccups here and there but i think being able to decentralize the hosting and running and operations of these virtual worlds is kind of like the 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 dream i've had some thoughts before you know I'd, somebody had mentioned it in one of the discords that i was in they were asking about you know it's like why hasn't anybody started a non-profit you know to do something like that i'm like i don't know why haven't they I don't really know what's involved with something like that, but it's a good question because I don't, you know, obviously there's a profit motive. I mean, it's just like the NFT selling and investor side of things. I mean, I everybody wants to be rich. That'd be great. I'd love to be rich, but that's that needs to not be the primary motivator, you know, <laughs> if you want to stay sticky and you want to keep users, you know, coming back to what you're doing. And that, that takes a unique blend of people, I think, to make that work. I think it would be really interesting if someone somehow figured out how to create a, a chain or some sort of blockchain where the kind of proof of work model basically allowed the users would, I guess, stake their tokens. And through that process, I don't know how exactly it would work, but it basically was able to run decentralized servers or people would be able to host their games on this chain somehow, you know, and maybe that is kind of, kind of like what Filecoin is doing with IPFS. But I think that scale I'm thinking of is way, way larger. I think that That'd be really, really great if we could figure something, some model like that out in, in the future. It's a funny picture in my head because I'm, I'm a Rick and Morty fan and all I can picture is that there's one episode and he's got a car battery that he has to go in and fix. And he goes and it's like a miniature world he created himself. and But he's basically had everybody down there. They're all on like little exercise bikes all the time. And that's what's powering his battery. You know, <laughs> we need a virtual world like that, right? Everybody ride your bike. That's definitely an option too. If, if the blockchain doesn't work out, I'm sure we can hire people to, to ride those bikes and produce electricity. There's always plan B. Always. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you, um, how do you think that NFTs go mainstream? Technically, it's pretty, I mean, it's it's pretty tried and true. We know it works. We know it works fairly well. I mean, that's, you know, for all, there's some caveats to how it works, to how a lot of this, the crypto chain technology stuff works, but it's, 
we know it's fairly solid, so it's not a technical issue right now. I really feel like it's more of a marketing UI issue. We need somebody with, you know, we need the person who has trouble plugging in a computer to be able to somehow get on there and get Ethereum and buy a token and start participating in these projects. I agree, because right now the, the barriers are not only do you need to figure out, okay, where do I purchase some Ethereum, but then you need to figure out MetaMask, and then you need to, you know, hide your private key and figure out where to store that. And then there's there's all these steps involved. And then and then yeah, when you make a transaction, there's you know the window pops up and it takes, you know, 15, 20 seconds and it's a whole whole thing. But um I, I do think that we are in the, you know, it's only been a couple of years with this technology and really since twenty seventeen when a lot of this stuff really started to come to fruition. So the amount of progress that I've seen since then has been been incredible. So I, I'm I'm hoping that within definitely, you know, five years from now that we'll have much better uh, UI and onboarding systems and maybe even Ethereum will have transferred to 2.0 and uh, it, it'll be faster and more scalable. But yeah, definitely. I, I can see why those issues we need to solve. Some of the security reg- you know, regulation stuff needs to be clarified and corrected too. I mean, it is, it's scary trying to work in some of it now. Like if I was... Like you just saw there was a large sale on crypto voxels the other day. I mean, like a massive one that everybody's like, you know, it makes your eye go wide. It's like, wow, that's amazing. But I'm like, man, what are the ramifications to that? I've had some conversations with some early Bitcoin guys who, you know, okay, Bitcoin just shot up to $10,000 and I just happened to have a thousand of them. Oh my God, look at all this money. So, you know, they go on a vacation or whatever and they cash some of it out and but by the time they cash it out, it's dropped a little bit in price. And now when they get a tax bill, like the taxes are actually more than what the fiat was that they pulled out, you know? So it's like, oh, great. Now what do I do? You know, cause like that sort of stuff, you hear stories like that and it's scary, you know, if you're not a, an accountant, you know? So it's, it's like, that's made me a little more, you know, hesitant to go. Like, I would love to have a full-time job doing, you know, more NFT collaboration and building and stuff like that. But some of that, it's like, man, if I got my whole paycheck in Ethereum, what would be the ramifications to everything else, you know, from my real life and my family and stuff? Would I potentially have a tax bill twice as double what I got paid this year somehow? So I had some crazy black magic? Yeah, I think that the regulatory and, and tax code right now in, in the States is just, it's really overburdensome. And it's just, it's very complicated. And just, we are in desperate need for some clear guidance on the regulatory front and also on the, on the tax code front is I don't know how NFTs are taxed. Actually, I've spoken to a couple uh, tax accountants and, you know, are they taxed as collectibles? Cause collectibles are taxed at a different rate than assets like stocks and bonds and stuff like that. But anyway, those are different questions for, for, uh, I remember we had a co- sort of conversation in discord the other day. I think about that a little bit, but yeah, it's like, you know, if you get a tax at what 35%, can you just take 35% away from me when I cash out and call it a day? I mean, I could deal with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Let's get into the closing questions. What is your single favorite NFT that you own? My favorite is still that uh, my castle in crypto voxels. That was my first huge, big purchase. And I built the castle. I built all the land around it. So so it's like very prominent and sticks up. And I noticed Ben's been using it. You know, he's used it in a lot of his early uh, marketing stuff because it's just so cool. I really like it. I need to add more animation stuff to it, but that's still my favorite. It's still one like I like to show people who have never seen it. But I don't know, that Avastar I just got from Jim is definitely a, it's starting to grow on me too. It's only been a day. <laughs> that's great. Next one. You have a billion dollars in funding and a huge technical team. What would you build for the NFT space? 
I think I'd want to, I'd really feel like I'd want to focus on with that much money, sort of like either some sort of mobile connection wallet system stuff. None of the mobile wallets seem to work up to par like I expect them to. They all are good at one or another thing. They all, like if I could make a mobile crypto wallet that was secure, solid, and also had a browser functionality and worked well, and and then I'd try to push a lot of resources towards integrating a lot of the WebXR stuff and the ExoKit stuff. Like if you had that stuff built in your phone, your computer, your, any browser, and they had an Oculus you know, version of it so you could jump right in your VR goggle, you'd be at the metaverse level, I think. That's really interesting. So you would pour a lot of that capital and expertise into developing tools for smartphones? I think that's your easiest way to get mainstream folks in mobile Definitely. Yeah. Cause I think the, the number of people in the world that have smartphones is some, I don't know, it's some crazy number. I think it's like over 3 billion people. If you make that onboarding very simple and easy for them, then you're what almost half or more than half the world's population right there. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's so much easier to get a smartphone, you know, than a full fledged, com- a computer powerful to, not enough to run some of these high end VR ones. Like I love Somnium space. I like getting in there, but it ain't running on your, you know, your three or four year olds you know, e-machine, you know, that you bought at the bargain basement place. All right. Next one. What is something that you would like to see happen or something that you think needs to happen to the NFT ecosystem? The emphasis needs to, it kind of already is, but I guess the, the emphasis needs to be put more in community and making sure those involved have the tools. To, if they get to onboard people, they need to have the tools and like talking points to, you know, for a non-technical person to sort of get it or at least give it a chance. I think cause I, everybody I talk to, either, either there's two sides as the people who are just all that Bitcoin stuff. You only use that for illegal things, right? And then you got the other side who are too technical and can't pull themselves out of that. <laughs> so they can't talk normally to normal people. I feel like there's a there's a gap in there. So that's the stuff that I think needs to be enforced more or emphasized more in some community chats, maybe. What are the key factors for success for an NFT project? Engaging the community and getting feedback early you, and listening to it. You know, it's uh, that's a big one that I see too. That that actually probably goes back to the, I've worked with a lot of developers. I know a lot of programmers and stuff and a lot of them, you know, no matter who they are, like that's what they like doing. They like developing. And the problem is that developing is an extremely, it's an extreme solo sport for half the time. So pulling their head out of that and, you know, and, and getting early feedback quick and acting upon it, I think is what a, what a project really needs if they want to be successful in the long run. Building what the community wants and what they're kind of asking for, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah, sometimes you can actually, you'll overcomplicate it too if you just go off your own thing and maybe that's not really what they want. <laughs> you just wasted a lot of time for something nobody's going to use. All right, this is the last question. Where do you see the world of NFTs in three years? In three years, I really think we're going to see, like, this is the year, I think, 2020, I really, a lot of these projects that I've been digging into and stuff, I feel like they're on the cusp, like, right now. You know what I mean? Like, right right now, within the next, like, six months, maybe. it's. And I'd like to think that, you know, the next, the year after that would be, like, growth and stuff. So, in three years, I really think a lot of the projects we're seeing now will either have gone through the growth stage and are at the stable stage where they start 
onboarding other people. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe Facebook Horizon will come by and just wipe us all out and we won't have anything to do anymore. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, let's hope that the future does not happen. But um, luckily, I think the thing that we have on Facebook Horizons is that Facebook Horizons is definitely the the China, in my analogy, and we are definitely the uh, America. So um, hopefully we can have some people you know, come over here and start enjoying free markets and capitalism. Yeah, no, I'll have to get pulled kicking and screaming, I think, over to that. Because now that I've had a taste of getting feedback from my own efforts and everything that the NFT has given me, it's like I, after having that, I don't want to go back. <laughs> Love it. All right, Trislet, thank you so much for coming on today and chatting with me. It's It's been awesome talking to you. And it's amazing to see your depth of knowledge in the NFT ecosystem. You seem integrated with every single community and every single project, which is just incredible. I want to ask you if people want to reach out and contact you and chat with you, where should they find you? What are the best venues? Well, I spend a lot of time on Discord. So usually you can find me on Discord, but I also have a, my Twitter handle is Trislet too, but also uh, my email is Trislet at Gmail. I try to use Trislet wherever I can. So usually in most communities, games and other things, if, if it's Trislet, it, there's a high chance it's actually me. Awesome. Well, Trislet, thanks again, and you'll have to come back on in a few months and update me with everything that's going on with you and the ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Zima Red podcast and subscribe to the Zima Red newsletter for more info on all things NFTs. Thanks so much for listening.